0: You can get on Amazon.com and it'll be at your house in two or three days. I'm telling you, this is so easy. Anybody ever bought anything on Amazon.com? It's just as easy as pie. You don't have to go to the bookstore and ask. You just buy one for 12, 13 bucks. It'll be a great investment for you. Again, it's great truth about the reality of God in an age of uncertainty. We live in an age where where, where, uncertainty and the question marks of life are being asked more and more. And those who believe God is, uh, non-existent are proactively spreading their message of, of scientism and atheism throughout the world. And so we as God's people, how many of you know, uh, and just say it again. Everybody say, God's not dead. He's not even sick. And so, Rice Brooks, who, if you've seen the movie, in fact, let me say, this is number two. We've got four more classes. Josh will be teaching one. I think Kobe's teaching a couple, uh, and I'm teaching, uh, like, let's see, there's four more. Uh, I'm probably doing two more, and they're doing two. Uh, and uh, at the end, on the seventh week, I think it's the, the 18th, we're going to show the movie here. So it's movie night, and so if you've not seen, how many of you have not seen the movie God's Not Dead? Okay, at movie night, uh, God's Not Dead. We'll come in, boom, just start it right at seven because it's probably an hour and a half or so, and we'll have popcorn and and, and a soda pop uh, and uh, I don't know whatever else we want to have. It's going to be a great time. So, uh, so you'll get to see the movie that was inspired by the book God's Not Dead, and so. The book is chock full of great truth, great storyline, but great truth about the reality of God in the earth. And so uh, so uh, with that in mind, I, I want to begin for the next four nights, four Wednesday nights. I'm going to show you little clips where Rice interviewed, uh, what's his name? I forget, You'll, he'll introduce him to you. He debated uh, Richard Dawkins' Here, oh, a few years ago, and uh, according to most, uh, uh, you know, creationists or, God, or theists, people who believe in God, he, he put the hammer on uh, the, the what's recognized as the world's most renowned atheist, Richard Dawkins. So, uh, so for the next four Wednesday nights, we're going to show you a little eight-minute clips of his interview with... Uh, I forgot his name, but he'll introduce him. So let's watch this little video, and then we'll jump into some some uh, talk about good and evil or no illusions.
1: Fans of God's not dead, you remember that moment in the second classroom scene where uh, Josh had been stumped in the first classroom defense of his faith by that question. Uh, when Radisson said, uh, Stephen Hawking, the world's most famous scientist, says, because there's a law like gravity, uh, the universe can and will create itself out of nothing. What do you have to say about that? And he kind of says, I don't know. Which was, by the way, was very good. If you don't know the answer, don't fake it. And yet, the next class period, he came back and he quoted John Lennox. And when he uttered that name of, of the Oxford professor and mathematician John Lennox, Uh, You could see maybe the blood draining a little bit out of the professor's face uh, that he had actually brought a credible scientist to match the words that were intended to intimidate uh, not only Josh but the whole class. And we have that man with us today, Dr. John Lennox from Oxford University, a mathematician, went to Cambridge, philosopher. Um, This very briefly. Talk a little bit about the journey. How do you go from, uh, as most people are young Christians, or maybe they've been a Christian a while, but they say, how do I go from uh, this basic commitment to Christ to becoming a world changer like that? Is there any overview you could could give us on your life and some of the key steps that have led you to this place of having this massive audience uh, as you are the defender of the faith?
2: Well, I come from Northern Ireland which hasn't always got the best reputation for Christianity but I was very fortunate my parents they were Christian without being sectarian in a very sectarian country and secondly they allowed me to think And they exposed me to worldviews alternative to Christianity long before I'd gone to university. And I grew up in a family where Christianity was open-ended, where people were discussing. It never would have occurred to me that Christianity was closed-minded. So in a way, when I went to university, I was pretty prepared for what I got there. But I had a real challenge very early on. Somebody said to me, do you believe in God? And then they said, you're Irish. Of course you believe in God. I should never have asked you that question. And I'd heard it before, but somehow I thought, right, here's my opportunity to meet people that don't share my worldview, that have never been to church. And I looked around and I sought them out. So I met my first agnostic and started to dialogue. And when he became a Christian after two years' dialogue, that was very important for me because it showed me that people can change their worldview mm-hmm. and that Christianity is sufficient evidence to power that change. So, that interest in people that don't share my worldview has been part of my life. I am a keen mathematician and I always wondered where does mathematics fit within science? Where does science fit in with the big picture? What is the relationship of science to the God question and so on? So, Side by side with my academic studies, there's, there's always been that. So I've always been in dialogue, one-on-one, and then, of course, more and more as the years went by. And I discovered that Christianity has real answers. There's real evidence. But what got me onto the world stage was, of course, debating Richard Dawkins. I don't think he knows why, and I don't know why he agreed to debate me. But that debate in Birmingham, Alabama on his book, The God Delusion, gave me a platform. And I think it has encouraged many Christians on the one hand to see that Christianity has something to say in the public space. Mm-hmm. We needn't be scared of it.
1: And then I, I was, I mean, that video, uh, your friend Larry, your friend and my friend Larry Taunton, uh, very much closer to you than me, but yet uh, very much respect for him. He was the moderator of this debate. And I don't, I don't think Richard Dawkins knew what was coming. I mean, maybe he's used to debating people that uh, default to their subjective experience, but here's this mathematician. And I watched that. I, I, in fact, I, I mentioned this in some of my writings, that it was, it was like the, the upset of the century is what I called it, because <laughs> no wow. one expected, everybody expects a Dawkins to be this formidable intellect. And he met somebody, not just his equal, but in, obviously I'm prejudiced because I, I, I like you. Uh, but boy, what a, what a show. What a, what a moment for the gospel when he met something he did, did not budge. Mm. Well, mean, we need to sort out the debates.
2: Larry moderated the second debate, which was in Oxford in the Natural History Museum. Oh, that's right. It was the judge well, that yes, did the first it debate. It was oh, I'm the sorry. judge I'm that did sorry. the
1: first debate. You're, I stand corrected. Um, it was that judge. The federal who, judge
2: who yeah. did it in Alabama. And uh, yes, that's right. Uh, I think that Dawkins hadn't quite taken the Christian case seriously enough before. And, uh, of course, I don't judge what has happened, but other people do judge. And I feel it was a very important moment, and uh, many people... Yeah, the Wall Street Journal
1: it. called it a revelation. Yes, uh, they and did. I,
2: I think the, I think the most... And
1: I was going to actually talk about it in some of the future segments yeah. we do, but about these debates, and we can get into some later, but I, I think the thing... That the fact that you gave such credible evidence, uh, you challenged Richard on several fronts. And then at the very end, and we'll get into that when we talk about more of this uh, specific evidence yes. for God in a later segment. But then you were so bold to say the resurrection. Yes.
0: And, I thought, he, and he, just, himself, he
1: goes, thing. He goes I, I won't try to imitate his British accent. And he goes, well, there you have it. He said, just when I was uh, beginning to think you're making a decent case for some kind of a deistic God, then you throw in... The resurrection. resurrection.
2: And he actually said something like, how pathetic, how parochial, how, how petty, trivial, how petty, how he petty said. is. And I thought, man, if Jesus actually is God incarnate, this is the biggest thing. And it's a real revelation that someone like him who purports to take evidence seriously actually doesn't. He doesn't take it seriously. He says, oh, give me evidence, give me evidence. But when you attempt to discuss the actual solid, historical and experiential evidence for the resurrection of Jesus, he wonders whether anybody would be interested in it or not. Not prepared to take it seriously. As we close
1: this segment, and we're going to pick up on on these things in future segments here, but uh, I think the the, the passion you, when I watch you, and not only in person, but on video, there's this brilliant mind and then this heart for God. It's this... It's this heart for God and this mind for truth. And I think very few people think that those are compatible. It's not that, though, you know. It is, isn't you it? You
2: watch intellectual people at a football match, and they're passionate about football, you know, because they enjoy it. Well, I'm passionate about God because I believe this is truth. It's not only helpful religion. I believe Christianity is true, and that's that's been one of the basic motivating things in life. Not, is this helpful or does it comfort me, but is it actually true? And if it's true, you go for it. If it's not true, you reject it.
1: I gotta just I gotta I'm gonna I'm gonna do this because I, I really want to. First of <laughs> all, in the movie, that whole dialogue, you can read, we're gonna talk specifically about it, but here it is, God and Stephen Hawking. And then this is my favorite of all time, Seven <laughs> Days That Divide the World. Uh, I think so many people stumble over is Genesis something that discredits the Bible? Is that just you know, can it really stand up to scientific scrutiny or just Uh, an intelligent scrutiny, and and you do such a good example, such a good uh, uh, treatise of that. We'll talk about that in another segment. It's seven days that divide the world. Uh, So anyway, thank you, Dr. Lennox. Look forward to talking to you in the very next segment.
0: Amen. So you'll hear more from him in the next few weeks. But uh, these are guys that are movers and shakers. These are the guys that have done our homework for us. Now, that's the thing you need to thank God for. People like John Lennox... And now, uh, and someone more in our age bracket, Rice Brooks, have done our homework for us to help us uh, be able to know why we believe what we believe. Did you know there are atheists in the world that are atheists just because that's the way they grew up? Did you know there are Christians who are Christians in the world and, and they believe in God not because they've studied it out and validated it, it's just because that's the way they grew up? And so it's important to know why we believe what we believe. Amen. And so with that in mind, we're going to jump in and just hit some highlights about one of the biggest issues that that uh, you've got to begin to address. Everybody got a handout? Everybody got a handout? I've got some. Anybody need one? There's a few left here. Uh, and, and that's the question of good and evil in the world. Uh, and, uh, you know, and, and, and we're just going to kind of hit some of... Uh, um, uh Rice's uh bullet points here about good and evil because this is one of the big debates against uh and for Christianity. Uh when you think about evolution, the issue is, hey, we're just we just evolved the survival of the fittest. Uh and as we'll see in a little bit, you know, uh uh I think it's Dawkins. He talks about DNA. It's it just it just does what it does and and we're a product of our DNA. But the big question is then why do we care? Uh, Why is there a a sense within us as humanity of good and evil? And so uh, we'll jump into that. Have you ever met anybody who experienced or know someone who experienced trauma or trouble or evil in their life and they start having these kind of questions like, if God is real, why did he let this happen to me? If God is real, we're going to answer some of those questions tonight uh, and, and begin to get us to understand uh, about good and evil. How many of you know there's, of course, we know uh, there is a moral standard. Is It's God, right? But secular society, the atheistic voice, the scientism, or sci- I think that's what they call it, sci- just where everything's based on science, uh, uh, is is, hey, we're just a product of our environment. And this is how it's happened. We talked about some of those things last week. Uh, Rice Brooks said this in the book, to be angry with God for allowing evil is to be angry with Him for allowing you to be born and live. Now think about it. Here's the issue. How many, how many of you seen a lot of evil in the world lately? How many of you know evil is on the rise? Just blatant. I mean, these, the ISIS issue, it's just, blatant evil uh, in the world. And it's hard for the world. In fact, uh, I think it's about to have backfired a little bit on these guys uh, because now the world is beginning to rally against the evil of this terroristic movement that's that's endeavoring to sweep our world and infiltrate and invade our world, which hey, nine eleven is a part of all that. It's a it's a blatant evil, and now the world and even uh, the skeptics are 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 confounded by this question of of good and evil in the world. Because if there's, as we'll learn, if there is uh, uh, really good and evil in the world, there must be a moral code which always leads us back to God. Uh, and, and so, uh, uh, most people want to deal with evil in the world, but they don't want to deal with evil in their own hearts, right? We look out there, oh, that's evil, we need to deal with it. But how many of you know evil is, is not only around us, but in us, and we've got to deal with those issues. Uh, and, and that question, why bad things happen to good people, uh, is, 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 is one of the most prevalent questions of our day. Uh, uh, Brooks says this, uh, uh, skeptics claim that God is is either not loving because he allows evil or not all powerful because he can't stop it. But God is also all wise, which means that in his wisdom, a world like ours with all its suffering is also a world with great joy and happiness. And we are created in such a way that we can understand this. How many of you know, uh, we as Christians who 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 believe in in God and believe in a moral code and the moral standard of good and evil, that there is good and there is evil, we have begun to learn uh, that just by maybe even experience that even though we live in a sinful world where evil, uh, you know, how many, is it the, where does it say where evil abounds, grace does much more abound? We understand that, that through it all. What does Paul say in Romans? And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God and are the called according to His purpose. So when we look to Scripture, we see bad things happening to good people. How many of you know persecution is a bad thing? It's an evil thing happening to good people. We understand that in this fallen world we live in... Uh, That though evil is here, God's grace and mercy uh, is certainly abounding in our life. And so the big emphasis uh, that we need to understand, evil is not just an issue to debate. It's the central struggle of the human race. How we deal with the evil in our hearts. How we get the, if you will, the victory over evil. How we recognize... Uh, uh, that, hey, uh, God, and we'll, as we close tonight, we'll realize God's taking care of evil. We just need to embrace it in our own lives and and appropriate what Christ has done for us on the cross. The hymn we sang just a few moments ago is a powerful hymn about the power of the cross in our life. How many of you know everything goes back to the cross? Amen. In fact, at, at the close of this, Our time, we're going to see another little video that'll, in three minutes, tell you the whole story of the Bible, uh, by way of a little simple video. It's pretty cool. And it shows God's plan unfolding. Uh, you know, and we got, you think about the two worldviews. The evolutionist worldview, it's the survival of the fittest, right? And that's, and that's Stephen Hawking to a T. Uh, and, and then, you know, they say that, you know, the survival of the fittest, the strong survive and they eliminate the weak. That's just how it worked. That's the principle if, of, of, or, or the, or the philosophy of evolution. But think about the other side, the side of the coin that we stand. Jesus said, uh, let those who are strong bear the burden of the weak and the helpless. So it's just too, it's like light and darkness. Uh, uh, the the evolutionist mindset says, "Hey, the, the the survival of the fittest." Jesus says, "Hey, we who are strong, we bear the burden of the weak and the helpless." Richard Dawkins said this uh, and about DNA. He talked about the he talked about our DNA. He says, that "DNA just is, and we dance to its music." He also says that we shouldn't look to Darwinian evolution as a model as to how to set up our values. That's where he, he, he messes up because he says, hey, we just are. It's just the DNA. That's, it's just creation. It's the survival of the fittest. But then he, then he says, but don't, because he realizes there's a quandary here. Because if it's just DNA, there is no such thing as moral code and moral law. We just are. So he, then he backs away and he says, but don't, don't use Darwinian uh, evolution as a model on how you set up your own values in your life. Uh, it's, it's certainly a conflict of his belief system for sure. Uh, uh, what we need to understand that God has built within all of us, within every human being, a moral code of right and wrong, good and evil. Right? How many of you recognize that even at an early age? Kids recognize it at an early age. It's built within our. It's built within our DNA because who 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 established our DNA? God did, Amen. And so, with that in mind, I am just going to give you some preach uh, some 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 uh, bullet points. What I call them points to ponder that. Uh, uh, um, Uh, uh, Rice has given us in the book, here we go, number one, are you ready? Here it is. If God is an illusion, that is, an imagination, something we invent, then good and evil become illusions too. That's what the belief of evolutionists are. Uh, Oh, the back screen's not on, I'm not... Can you turn that one on? That'll help me. Uh, Awesome. Uh, If God is an illusion, then good and evil become illusions too. In other words, if there's no God, there's no no moral code, there's no moral law. How many of you know, we know there's moral law. We know there's moral code and that God placed it within us. Interesting thing about Dawkins' DNA uh, uh, understanding, it just is. And we dance to its music. Uh, How many of you know DNA? Uh, He just says it it has no it has no moral code to it but then how come we have within our dna a moral code that's the interesting thing that uh, that uh, evolutionists have not answered yet and as you saw the interview this is some of the thoughts that they that they've just never really Come in contact with before some of these re- recent apologists have begun to stand up like uh, 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 Rice Brooks. So, so this is what they believe, uh, and they and and we we need to begin to realize. Hey, you know what? Uh, God is real, and He has developed within all of us a moral code, a moral understanding of good and evil. C.S. Lewis. anybody ever read Mere Christianity? It'd be a great it'd be a great book to read. I read it years and years ago, and I need to find my old copy. Uh, but uh, uh, he C.S. Lewis went on a quest to to discover whether God is real, and he came to the conclusion uh, in his own life that God is real. And he wrote, I think, Mere Christianity. This is a quote from it, and and this is where he came to. These then are the two points I want to make. First, that human beings all over the earth have this curious idea that they ought to behave in a certain way. It's just built within us and cannot get rid of it. Secondly, that they do not in fact behave in that way. They know the the law of nature, they break it, uh, and, and they break it. These two facts are the foundation of all clear thinking about ourselves and the universe we live in. And so it's the reality that there's a moral code. We all have it built within us. C.S. Lewis uh, 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 declared it years and years ago. There is a moral law. There is a moral code. And humanity has an issue obeying the law. How many of you know just to believe the law is not to obey the law? How many of you, even though you know there's police officers... And that there's a law that you're supposed to go 70 or 65 or whatever. You know that's true. You know the law, right? But how many of you know sometimes we, we break the law? Right, and so that's the quandary of the human heart that God is in the uh, has has come to deal with. Okay, so let me let me go back and just hit that again. If God is an illusion, then good and evil become illusions too, and that's certainly not the case. Number two, without God, this is what uh, this is what uh, 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 skeptics say. Without God, all things are permissible, and this is what we need to understand. If there's no moral code. Uh, There's a famous Russian writer, I can't even say his name, Dostoevsky, I can't say his name, he's the one who coined this, uh, and there was a culture upheaval, uh, and they were throwing God out of culture back in his day, and he made this declaration, without God, all things are permissible. And that's really true. You think about no God, no moral code, uh, all Things Are Permissible. In fact, I think, wasn't there a movie? I didn't go see this movie. I saw it where, where they had, a, was it a day, a 24-hour period that all law was suspended. Man, that freaked me out just watching the preview or the, the trailer to that. I thought, my Lord, there's chaos. And this is the reality if you throw God out. Uh, Nietzsche, the legendary atheist, I, uh, I forget his first name, but Nietzsche, Nietzsche say it again. Frederick Nietzsche, he coined the phrase, God is dead, uh, and uh, he wasn't saying that God had actually died, but that the concept of Christian morality had been killed by the hypocrisy of those that claim to believe in God. So the, uh, without God, all things are permissible. Number three, uh, if there is no God, then there is no evil. If there is no God, there's no such thing as evil. And, and here's the reality. You can't describe the world we live in without barring the Bible's descriptions of reality of good and evil. It's really true. And, and so when they say no God, they've got to say there is no evil because the, there's a loss of moral code. Uh, we've got to remember the fact that good and evil are real. And that re- in reality points us to the existence of God. The fact that evil is real doesn't point us to the fact that there is no God. It points us to the fact that there is a God. There is a moral code in the earth. And there's the logic. This is the whole concept of this book. The logic is as follows. Premise number one. If God does not exist, then good and evil are just illusions. There's no good or evil if God doesn't exist. Premise number two. Good and evil are real and not illusions. That's what this book brings us to. Good and evil are real and not illusions. And then the premise number three: therefore, simply God exists. Because there is evil, and because there is good, because there is moral code. Number four, as the knowledge of God decreases. Now this is one y'all really want you to catch. As the knowledge of God decreases in a person or a culture, evil rises. The knowledge of God acts like an immune system that helps a society resist evil. Now, we've seen this in our day. Now, most of you grew up with no prayer in schools. My age, uh, we live through the, 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 the removal of prayer in schools. Now, you've seen some of the evidence, you know, oh, big deal, they prayed at the football game. Oh, God forbid. Uh, you, you've seen those issues. But let me tell you, when they began to pull prayer out of schools, I'm telling you, this is true. When the knowledge of God decreases in a person or a culture, what happens? Evil rises. It's really true. And so, uh, uh, and then the knowledge of God, it acts like an immune system that helps a society resist evil. I'm telling you. Uh, 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 We've seen this in our day. You know, I never would have dreamed in my day that the homosexual agenda would be so powerful in our culture today. Now, how many of you know God loves homosexuals? I'm not. I'm not. I'm not anti. Uh, uh, I love. God loves everybody, right? But how many of you know, according to Scripture, homosexuality is a sin. Now it's beyond just a sin, now it's a culture, it's being, it's being pressed into our culture as an acceptable lifestyle, right? And so, now we as a culture are being forced to accommodate, and, and gosh, it seems like it's in the news every day somewhere, you know, the, you know, the, 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 the legalities of, the, of this, you know, marriage and, and all those issues, I never would have dreamed this. What happened? When, when God is removed, when the, when the light gets dimmer, what happens to the darkness? It gets darker. And so that's what happened in our culture uh, when, uh, you know, over the years as God's been, re- been taken out, evil abounds. And, and we need to understand something about our culture and about the culture of Christ and the culture of the kingdom is that we are the light of the world. Everybody say I'm the light of the world. We've been talking about that on Sunday morning. We are salt and we are light. And, and contrary to this thought, when the light gets brighter, what happens to the darkness? It's, it flees. Am I right? I want you to see this verse again. We looked at it. Go to Romans chapter 1. I want you to see this, this truth. Uh, I want you to see it in your Bible. And, and again, I mentioned last week, uh, we need to embrace Romans, really the all of it. But read Romans chapter 1, especially verse 18 and 19. Look what it says. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all unrighteousness and the unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Now, uh, you need to understand that's what modern-day culture is trying to do, suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. And so, uh, they've endeavored to suppress the truth. What happens when, when the truth is suppressed? What does How does God respond? He responds with his wrath, wow! And so the evil rises, uh, but God will respond, Amen. So we need to understand as the light of the world. You know, gosh, even guys, I don't believe in vampires. Do you? Anybody believe in vampires? I don't believe in vampires. When do they come out? It's an illustration of what happens when the when the light is suppressed. When we hide the light under the bushel, the evil begins to abound. Uh, as the knowledge of God decreases, listen, let me just say, with your children, with your family, as the knowledge of God decreases. We talked about this in staff meeting and I can't remember, I think somebody gave me this, this phrase, this statement. Uh, I can't remember where it came from. I'm getting old. And this was, and this is the culture of our, of the church. When I was growing up, even with, even as a parent and our kids were growing up, but when I was growing up, uh, When your children came home from church or when they got out of children's church or Sunday school, the the primary question the parents would ask them was, what did you learn tonight? Now, fast forward to 2015. You know what the main question is parents ask their kids? Not what did you learn today or tonight. Did you have fun? How many of you know that ought to raise a huge warning? And our when the and here's what we need to know: when the knowledge of God in our children and our family decreases, the natural result is evil rises, and we've seen that in our culture uh, today more so than ever. Number five: therefore, the existence of evil doesn't indicate the absence of God from the world, but the absence of Him from our lives. That's what people, when you think of, man, there's evil in the world. Man, uh, you know, God must not be real to let this evil arise. The reality is, the fact that there is evil is validation that God is real. There is a more, if, because if there's no God, there's no evil, right? There's no right and wrong. Everything's subjective. Or, or as, as one uh, atheist said, it's, it's just all, uh, it's in, you know, there, there's certain people who have a tendency, predetermined tendency towards evil, the mass murderer. He can't help it. He's just born that way. How I many of you know in reality all of us can't help it? We were just born that way. So therefore, what did Jesus come to help us do to be what? That's born again. Amen? So, uh, the existence of evil doesn't indicate the absence of God from our life, uh, from the world, but the absence of him in our life. Edmund Burke said this. Anybody remember Edmund Burke's fam- famous quote? The only thing necessary for a triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. In other words, when the light of God stops being the light of God, what happens? Evil abounds. Okay? Uh, number six. Believing in God won't guarantee that people will do right things. Why? Because we have evil on the inside of us. In fact, James said this. Uh, James said uh, 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 that that the demons even believe, and they've got enough sense to tremble. It's not enough just to believe in our head that God is real. I watched a movie the other day, and it was kind of sad uh, and uh, uh one of them asked the question, do you believe in God? And, and he said, I better. I'm, I'm dying of cancer. But, but in his, you know, from his life in the movie, and the movie's not a historical event, but from his life in the movie, he wasn't serving God on any level. And I went, Oh my gosh, that's the way so many people think. I better believe in God. I'm about to die here. Uh, it's not just believe. How I many of you know, in fact, the, 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 the verse, for God so loved the world, That whosoever, uh, so love the world that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting. That word doesn't mean just believe that he's real. It means to trust in, rely upon, and cling to. Amen. Hallelujah. Number seven. Atheism doesn't take away the pain. It just takes away the hope. Boy, and that's true. What we need to understand with people who do, and in fact, when people die without Christ, I wonder, or people go through traumas without Christ, people go through 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 evil things and unjust things without Christ, I think, how can they do it? In fact, as we talked about Sunday morning, we talked about the inroads to the uh, the heart of lost humanity. One is the inroad of hope because the whole world needs hope. And atheism doesn't take away the pain, it just takes away hope. When it says there is no God, that means there is no hope. And as we talked about Sunday morning, we talked about the God of hope. How many of you know we serve the God of hope in the middle of a of a of a world that is that is evil and evil abounding even? We have a hope that is in God. That, hey, even though uh, uh, our body perishes, our inner man is being renewed day by day, and we're on our way to heaven from Beaumont, Texas. Amen. The gospel that we know to be true. The power of the gospel, that Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay for the sin and the, and the evil of all humanity through his blood, he paid for it and he redeemed it. That gospel provides great hope for lost humanity, amen? And so we serve the God of hope. Number eight, the gospel, as we said Sunday, is the cure for all, of e- all evil. The evil in the world The gospel is the cure. Amen? How many of you appreciate that? The the sin sickness of our soul is forgiven and washed clean by the power of the blood of Jesus. Uh, And in the book, as as, uh, uh, Rice says, God defines evil. He tells us what it is. And then God denounces evil. He tells us to stay away from it. Even though we have the, the capacity to choose. How many of you know uh, if, you know, if God loved us, how come these bad things happen to good people? Because we live in a world of choice. And people choose to do wrong. Even though they know it's not right to do wrong, they choose wrong and sin entered into the world. We live in a sin-riddled world. And so people have the power of choice. The cool part about it, we have the power to choose Him and love Him. How many of you appreciate the fact that God gave us the liberty to choose Him and not some uh, Chuck E. Cheese automated machine going, Hi, I'm Chuck E. Cheese. i hear here you. Because, hey, we have the power to choose. And that's what the gospel is all about. Here's, and then, of course, uh, God defeated evil at the cross. Hebrews 2.14 says he defeated evil. I love what Peter 2.24 says. He bore our sins in his own body at the cross that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. And then one day, here's what we need to understand in reality. One day... He will destroy evil totally. It will have no more power in the earth or in the universe. In fact, Revelation says he throws the dragon, that is the devil, where? Into the what? The bottomless pit. Amen. Now, here's the cool part for us the story of the Bible. From start to finish, the beginning and the end is the story of the beginning and the end of evil. From Genesis to Revelation. What happened in Genesis? God created the earth and what happened? Evil came into the world. And from the beginning to the end, you and I need to understand, this whole Bible is about God dealing with the evil issue of the world. Why is there evil in the world? If God exists, why is there evil in the world? Because people were born to choose, and they chose sin, and we chose sin. And from that point, we were all born, natural born what? Sinners, and we have to choose if we want to be find that freedom uh from the evil influence on the inside of us. We have to choose the power of the cross to, to and, and have faith, as we talked about last week, when we talked about the gospel, have faith in the finished work of Christ. This whole book is about the the, the message of redemption for the for all of humanity throughout the earth. Amen. I want to show you this video. Can we show this video now and come back to these last two scriptures, Ike? Let's do that. Let, just, hey, this video looks a little cheesy. I don't know where it came from. A, one of our pastors in Africa, a guy named Shem, I can't pronounce his last name, he posted it on Facebook. Uh, and I thought, wow, this, this little video shows the message of God's redemptive plan through scripture in three minutes. Uh, and I just thought, man, everybody needs to see this. So here we go. Let's watch this.
3: In the beginning, God creates the heavens and the earth in six days. He makes Adam and Eve who spend their days with God until they give in to temptation by eating from a forbidden tree. Sin enters the world and things get so bad that God floods the earth and starts over with Noah and his family. Years later, God calls Abraham to follow him with the promise to make Abraham the father of a great nation. Abraham obeys, and God gives him a son, Isaac. Isaac's son Jacob has 12 sons. Joseph, Jacob's favorite, becomes second in command of Egypt. God uses him to save his entire family in Egypt from starvation. Hundreds of years later, the Israelites are slaves in Egypt. Moses is called to lead the Israelites out of slavery. Joshua takes over after Moses and leads the people into the promised land. After Joshua, God raises up judges, temporary military leaders, like Deborah, Gideon, and Samson, who protect and fight for God's people. The people tire of this leadership, and they call for a king. God gives Israel King Saul, King David, and then King Solomon. But it's all downhill from here. The people rebel, the kingdom of Israel is divided, and everyone turns their back on God. Prophets like Elijah, Isaiah, Micah, and Jeremiah warn that if people don't repent of their sins, there will be consequences. But the people ignore their warnings. The divided kingdoms are conquered, and God's people face captivity in foreign lands. People like Daniel show great courage and stand up for God when no one else does. Some of the exiled people return to the promised land, but for 400 years, God is silent. No prophets, no miracles, and no angel visitations. But then, the silence is broken when Jesus is born. He lives a perfect life, teaches truth, and performs miracles, proving He is God. He shows us the full extent of God's love by taking our place and dying on the cross for our sin. He is placed in a grave, but three days later, Jesus rises again, conquering sin and death. His followers travel the world, sharing the good news of his love and starting churches. We now are part of this story, and we have the chance... To change the world and share His love, because one day He will crack open the sky and He will return. It's the greatest story ever told.
0: Amen. Oh, oh here we go. The choice is set before us. Deuteronomy thirty nineteen says, "I call heaven and earth to witness against you today." That I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live. 2 Corinthians five seventeen. most of us may know it. If anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. That's what Jesus came to do to give us life. Amen. As we close tonight, let me just ask you, you may have a thought, how many of you have dealt with this, this issue of good and evil and God, and hey, if God is real, how come there's so much evil in the world? Anybody ever have a personal thought about that or anything you thought of as we were kind of just hitting some of the highlights tonight and how, how evil uh, seems to, uh, uh, in some people's mind, diminish the existence of God? Anybody? Yes. Right. 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 He did it for us. Amen. Somebody else, another thought? You have any friends that have gone through these things and wonder where's where God in the middle of my mess? There's evil in the world? Yep, we do live in an evil world, Uh, but we thank God for his mercy and grace in our lives uh, and his power to heal us in this fallen world we live in. And the fact that there is good and evil is not evidence that there's not a God, there is evidence that there is God. He's right here in the middle of us. And where evil abounds, grace does much more abound. Amen? Amen. Any other thoughts, comments, criticisms, and of course, there is none. Amen. I know this is a little different. It's different for me, uh, and and uh, uh, but hey, uh, it's okay to eat something a little different every once in a while, right? Amen. Well, hey, uh, any prayer requests before we dismiss? Anyone have anything they'd like to pray about? Any any concerns? I want. I have one. Uh, that uh, I want to pray for a family. It's a young guy. I think his name is Kevin Guy. I don't know Kevin Guy. But Kevin Guy is a friend and acquaintance of the West Brothers. He's 20-something years old, came down with some bizarre sickness, like the flu-like symptoms, and now he's uh, struggling for his life. Got a beautiful little family, and they're calling uh, everybody they can to pray. How many of you appreciate when people pray for you in your, in your troubled time? And Man, and so let's pray for them. Lord, we lift up Kevin Guy to you tonight, and I just pray for him. I pray, Lord, you would just touch his life. And Lord, whatever is going on in his body, you're bigger than sickness, you're bigger than disease, you're bigger than than things even that the doctors can't figure out. Lord God, you know it all. And Lord, we just pray you would touch his life. You would reveal yourself to him in greater ways and means, and you would heal him today. And we just thank you for total recovery for your glory and your honor. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen.